Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. It says episode 40, but we're technically episode 39 because we're moving Corin Nimick uh, later. He had to uh, reschedule. So when we have more information about uh, when he's going to be coming back to join us, I will be putting that information up. My name is David Reed. Thank you for joining. I have Dan Shea, stunt coordinator for Stargate SG-1, and uh, Sergeant Styler as well. He's waiting in the wings here, standing by. But before we bring him in, I want to give you the run of the show. So what's going to happen is uh, we're going to have Dan on. I have a series of of questions for him about his work on Stargate and about his life and uh, his professional and personal heroes. We're also uh, then going to invite you to submit your questions right now in the YouTube chat at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And those uh, questions will be related by the moderators over to me. So big thanks to uh, Summer, Ian, uh, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese. You guys are the best for hooking us up there, as well as Jennifer Kirby, my assistant, and um, uh, Linda uh, uh, Gategabber Fury, my co producer. So before we uh, start the show, I do want to invite you, if you like Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. Clips like uh, clips from this live stream will be released over the next uh, several days on GateWorld.net, and you can expect you can expect clips from this show uh, to appear on Dial the Gate as well over the next few weeks. You've been waiting for him; he has arrived, Mister Dan Shea. Woo-hoo! Hello, sir. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm quite lovely. Quite quite lovely indeed. So have you been keeping busy or laying low or how are things? You're, I'm assuming you're in Vancouver, right? I am, in fact, in Kitsilano in Vancouver, a couple blocks up from the Kitts Beach. I just did the polar bear swim uh, about a week ago. The, because of COVID, we, they shut the official swim down. Wow. I just went down to Kitts Beach myself and jumped in. But there's like 100 people down there who were doing it. So it was, it was fantastic. We just stayed Holy apart. From right, exactly. You kept your distance. You jumped in, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that sounds like, like a, I hear you say this, like, you know, I'm not surprised. That sounds like something that Dan would do. Well, so. we, we, we do it every year, but ordinarily it's official. And I, in fact, um, the person who runs it used to be catering on MacGyver. She's good friends with Rick, Richard Dean. Her, her, her dad or her grandfather was the first polar bear swim dude in Vancouver, like back in 1910 or something. So she's been running it uh, the last 30 or 40 years. So. Are there medical uh, benefits, proven medical benefits to, to this? Or is it just an exhilaration thing? What's, what's the story behind that? Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything proven. Uh, I know it feels great when it's over with. 
it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly exhilarating it's more of a tradition like you get there and there's like a thousand people and they have the big sign with the big polar bear so you get your picture taken and they have music and they have people up in the stands talking and you get all excited and you bring in the new year and it's a it's kind of a pain because you're all jammed on the beach and 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 you don't want to get your stuff ripped off, but yeah, but no one rips you off because they're all afraid of getting ripped off. Too. <laughs> so it's a, it's a social event. So I guess it could be considered a social event. And, and my daughter Steffi, who's who's who I think hopefully is on here as well. A second ago, she said uh, that they it, it hadn't let her into the room yet, but she's a lifeguard. Both my daughter Steffi and Joey used to be lifeguards, so okay. she traditionally is off uh, the, the shore in a rowboat trying to save any of us in case our, our hearts explode out of our chest. Oh my gosh, jeez. Well, let me go ahead and uh, and see about this here. I've never brought in someone live before, so I'm not oh. exactly sure how this is going to happen, but let me okay. let me pull her in here and see right. uh, what happens. I know so she's not sharing video and she's not sharing audio. I'm asking her to unmute. Oh, oh you're asking her to unmute? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me see here. Switch over to this. So everyone's oh, going to everyone's going to get to see how I do this on the fly. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, I'm well, on the bus. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Woo-hoo! You made it. There's no. Oh, wait, you can't see me though. No video though, but it's okay. Hey, there she is. Woo-hoo! A little bit. Sorry, I'm on the bus. No, and I have a-, a mask on, so it's not alt- optimal conditions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hey, we're we're able to see in here. So this, so Stephanie, you are you are Dan's daughter, is that correct? I am. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you were Solen in um, in I think Learning Curve. I was back in the day. I think I was nine or ten. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I had. I think I had, I had two lines. I remember. <laughs> yes, it's an honor to accept your information, oh. Teal, or something like that, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, and yeah, then, that's it. And <laughs> you know please, ex- please explain this, Iris, I think was the second one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I still got it. <laughs> absolutely. Where, um, what's, where are you in Ireland? Mm, um, on the bus between Cork and Clonmel. So it's a two-hour bus ride. Oh my so I'm, I'm an hour in. Are you living there now, or what's going on? Yes, yeah, I'm living there. I'm going to I'm going to medical school there, so I'm in my my final year there. Wow. Well, good for you. So, what's um, what's yeah, yeah. what's your specific intent? Doctor? Like, what's yeah. a nurse? Do- what's your doctor's goal? Doctor's the plan. Yeah. Okay. A doctor, a family doctor. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you get to talk to your dad yeah. much? Uh, every once in a while, when I when I feel like it. No, just kidding. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I talk yeah. to her when I need technical advice. Like, what happens if uh, uh, everything's online now with work, like your payroll and everything? So I'm an idiot. So I will WhatsApp either Stephanie in Ireland <laughs> or my daughter Joey in Cairo. And right. I will, hold, I will hold my phone up in front of the screen and say, like, how do I how do I do this? How do I get paid? How do I get to the next step? <laughs> Jeez. Oh, it, it's, I'm just, I'm just a fool. And we, we did a, I did this Netflix uh, feature uh, that just finished about a, a month ago called love hard. And we had to do this COVID online thing before we could be allowed to work. And they said it was just, Oh, it's just 45 minutes. And it's a little test afterwards. It, uh-huh. took, me, it took me three and a half hours to do this thing. And then you had to get 85% uh, 
And uh, I, I, I couldn't get any more mistakes. So I phoned the guy in the office and said, well, what, what's the answer to this question? If I get it wrong, I'm gonna fail. I'm not gonna be able to work on the show. And so I was trying to, and then I said, I'm gonna have to WhatsApp my daughter in, in Egypt to, to get her to answer the question. Well, I, well, I got it right. And I wound up you know, doing the show, but, but that, that kind of stuff to a geezer like me, you guys love it. It's nothing to you, but for, to a geezer like me, it, it freaks me out because it's, it's just not, I'm not comfortable with it. I don't know, Stephanie, some of this stuff even <laughs> is beginning to get ahead of me. It's like, they want us to do what now with what and connect the DNS server to what? It is true. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not always easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Dan, we've got one of one of your daughters on. You got. You got to tell us an embarrassing story. She had to have oh. been on the Stargate set Uh-oh. a lot. <laughs> you know what? We. She was on there a lot when she was young. And Richard Dean, I used to say, uh, uh, she was never impressed by anything. I say, Steffi, what do you think of that big Stargate over there? Like she. She honestly couldn't care less about any of it. And so Richard Dean, we, we used to call her arrogant and indifferent. <laughs> that, that, was, that, was her, that was her nickname. She was like eight years old. But the thing was, in, in her defense, she'd been there all the time. Like other, yeah. other people would, would give their, you know, whatever to just to be there on set or, you know, to just to show up or to work. But she was hanging around i'd bring her there and and she'd be there all the time and it was just i guess for a kid you're not doing anything so it's like kind of like annoying so she we 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 nicknamed her arrogant and indifferent (laughs) oh my god i swear i'm not as arrogant anymore (laughs) (laughs) well it is a pleasure to have you do you want to um stick around in the background while i talk with your dad or uh... yeah yeah okay yeah for sure yeah just uh, saying hi and yeah thank you very much for having me oh absolutely <laughs> it's 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 terrific to have you i love this spontaneous stuff because it's like you never know who you're gonna <laughs> yeah. get let so. me know when you get there safely stuff okay. oh, oh let me tell you a bus story can i do that about stuff yeah absolutely she she after she graduated from university my wife's a flight attendant so my kids would fly all over the world on standby so, but she went to Vietnam and she was there. I think mm. maybe you can correct me, Steffi, for like maybe three months. She, she plotted the whole thing. But one night she was on a bus and the bus got into an accident. And I think, I think the bus driver either got killed or was seriously injured. Oh my God. Well, so they all had to take the people from the bus. It was like a thousand degrees. They're all sweating. It's like four in the morning and put them onto another bus. But the thing is that if she she could have been killed in Vietnam and her 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 ID could have flew out of the window into a rice paddy and could have sunk and they could never have identified her body we would never have known what had ever happened to her ever and and uh, so that and then then they were on the bus and they drove they, they were on the bus for like another seven hours two bus filled people on, onto one bus uh, to the Gosh. next place is that at all accurate stuff we're close She's yeah, it's a, it's a good story while I'm on a bus right now. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot for bringing you know the, anyway. the appropriate memories to jeez to the front. <laughs> Stephanie, you're welcome to hang uh, with us. Can you? Uh, uh, yeah, go uh, ahead. But thank you very much. <laughs> God, do, do me a favor. Can you? Oh, I think she is. She still there? Or did? Okay. Yeah. If you could just oh, do me sorry, a f- yeah, no. Yeah. If you could just you yeah. You're welcome to stick around. Just do me a favor and mute your video for me, okay? Yes, I will. Perfect. Thank, thank you, you so much, Dan. Um, thank you for that. That this is this is a real treat. Let me go ahead and um and fix my my screens here real quick on the fly. 
I wanted to know, um, there we go. Okay. I wanted to know who, uh, okay. I, how, how does anyone grow up and say, you know what? I want to get hurt for a living or, you know, I want to be the one who gets lit on fire or gets ratcheted across, you know, the, the room on uh, uh, ropes and cables and slams into um, some serious like metal drums. I mean, where, where did your love of stunt performing come from? Where did this whole thing start for you? Well, it was more, see anything from Hollywood, from the small town that I was from seemed like, the other side of the galaxy and totally uh, insurmountable. And so I always thought that I would be like a, a screenwriter and I'd be like Sylvester Stallone with Rocky. I'd write my own screenplay and I'd star in it. I'd do my own stunts and I'd do catering. And uh, so I wrote like a million scripts that everybody has despised for the past 50 years. In fact, I, I still keep all of my rejection letters. Uh, my first hundred scripts were about hockey. And I remember one of the, the, the from the writer's report that said, he shoots, he scores, the crowd yawns. So, oh, uh, so everything that I've done has been crap, but I, but, but I wound up getting to Vancouver and I, I crashed an audition. And uh, I, two days later, I'm on a plane, a first class ticket to Hawaii doing a beer commercial on a jet ski with the, 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 the young actress Hottie from Meatballs. I just seen the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray two days before I got in the plane. When I got off the plane, I saw this movie star girl, and I think, wow, that's the girl from Meatball. And she had to play my girlfriend in the commercial. So we were in Kauai, uh, riding up and down this river, smashing off the wake. And I had this like incredibly attractive female who, I, who was like a movie star person on the back of my wet bike, having to hold on to me, pretending to like me, pretending to be my girlfriend for a week. <laughs> and so... I sort of got hooked on showbiz from that. And I came back to Vancouver and I looked around. So I got on MacGyver. Uh, we did a hockey episode. So I was Richard Dean's stunt double, Rick's stunt double on this hockey episode of MacGyver. So we got to be uh, pretty good, uh, cool, uh, t tight friends. Uh, I became like his hockey guy. And, and we would have games all over Vancouver uh, after 14 hours of MacGyver. We'd go to Kitts and we'd play. We'd go to Carisdale. These are places in Vancouver we'd mm -hmm. play hockey. And... Um, so then I met his stunt double, Stevie Blaylock, who was on a SAG contract from L.A. And he, he got per diem. He drove a Mercedes convertible. He was suntanned. He was jacked. He just lifted weights all day. And I thought, man. And then I, then I heard what he got as residual checks from the very beginning of MacGyver. You know, da 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 And from him flying through the air... He got all this money just from residuals. And I'm like, holy crap. So that was when we focused on the stunt thing. It wasn't like I always wanted to be a stunt guy. I always wanted to sort of do something. And then by doubling for, for Rick uh, on the the, story, uh, the MacGyver episode and then seeing his, his buddy and then uh, um, uh, uh, Luton, no, what's his name? Vince Dedrick Jr. was the stunt coordinator. And his dad was a, just a stunt legend in Hollywood. And, and, and Vince had done, uh, what was the one where they, the, 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 the Jeep went over a waterfall, Romancing the Stone, he was Michael Douglas's stunt double. And Vince did that, he was a legend and he almost got killed doing the stunt because they were in South America with no hospitals and no CGI and no nothing. They literally 
were in a, a Jeep and they went over a waterfall and dropped like 70 feet and he almost died. Man. But Vince was a guy who then got me interested and, and got me kind of training a little bit for MacGyver. And then that's sort of where it all started. Was that the question? It seems like I've been talking for a minute. Yeah, know. yeah. How, how you really got involved with this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't so know you'd written scripts. I got a bunch of them downstairs. In fact, when, when the world ended, when uh, uh, last March, when the COVID thing, I just finished, um, actually, uh, uh, I just finished Magicians, a sci-fi series. We finished season five. Yeah. I was the stunt coordinator. And wow. then I went right to a thing called um, a Netflix series called Brand New Cherry Flavor, which still has not aired because they, they had to get a bunch of stuff in Los Angeles right after that. And then L.A. shut down. So they never actually got their, excuse me, their scenes till just before last Thanksgiving. And so they won't be coming out till June. Brand New Cherry Flavor. And uh, oh, where was I going with this? Why did I, why did I bounce to Brand New Cherry Flavor? What was I talking about? Stunts? What the hell was this anecdote going? Well, I was one, I was going to ask you anyway. What's going to be coming out uh, soon? Oh anyway, no! But so. why, why was I setting that? Oh, oh, but the writing. Oh yeah. So, yes. so then nothing else to do. And I started. So I wrote this script that had been bouncing around my head uh, about this Middle East thing. This uh, uh, um, uh, stunt double doubling a, an Israeli girl, and I wrote it and I sent it to LA for this coverage. It, professional coverage that's where actual tv shows and movies send their scripts for polish and stuff and i actually for the first time in 60 years i'm not that old first time in 30 years i got a positive uh, coverage positive re- um writer's report for my script and for me it, it, we're still trying to you know shop around or whatever and, and actually what's your name would be great uh, f- uh from wonder woman she'd be perfect yeah she would she would play both parts was, uh, um uh, the the um, the stunt double and then and then the uh, uh, actual lead the Israeli star uh, and uh, so that that was kind of speaking of writing that that that's that was sort of exciting and, and um, it, it was it, they 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 called it the best script of the month that had been sent down to these people which means nothing if if producers say it's the best script then that's good this this is a company that just gives you writers reports and and so I got a, a positive one. Anyways, <laughs> well, that's well. You know what? I mean, you still you got to start somewhere, man. And so yeah. you know, if if you can get uh, traction on that, all the better, and keep us in the loop. Exactly. Please, yeah. for sure. Um, Dan, who are your heroes? Um, who are the the people who kind of shaped you in, into the the person you are personally? And who are your professional heroes as well? Um, well, personally, would be our hockey coaches from my little small town. Uh, back in Ontario, population 5,000, it was called Hespler, and they made the best hockey sticks and the best hockey players in the world. Uh, and then uh, my old coach, Bob McKillop from the University of Waterloo, and Bobby Hall was the best left winger ever to play the game from the Chicago Blackhawks. He was my hero. As far as showbiz folks go, uh, I used to love Burt Reynolds because he said he did his own stunts. I don't ever think he actually did. One thing I learned about <laughs> actors from doing this crap for 30 years is that none of them do their own stunts except Tom Cruise. Like that guy's like, he took all that heat for getting mad at his crew for the COVID thing. And that he was totally justified in doing that because that's the first big feature out there now making, uh, making movies. And if they mess up, then the rest of us, we're not going to get work. So, so we now, now on our sets for love hard, we have these safety protocols. So we had to wear an N95 mask. We had to wear goggles. And we had to stay away from everybody. And if anyone 
didn't do that. We were kicked outside. And if you did again, we'd be fired. So I don't know why everyone made a big deal about Tom Cruise doing that, because what he did was totally justified. So anyways, in terms of my heroes, the one guy I really loved was Steve Martin, because mm -hmm. I, I also did, I did stand-up comedy for 10 years. And, uh, uh, and back in my era, you guys, he's, he'd be probably be an old man for you guys, but for, from my era, he, uh, you, you know, he hosted Sitting Night Live. They were the Czech brothers, him and Dan Aykroyd, and he hosted The Tonight Show, and myself and my girlfriend were down in LA once and went to see him at the on the Tonight Show. And then we saw him and his girlfriend Bernadette Peters wandering around afterwards. They went into a record store. So I ran in afterwards and, to, and got his record and said, Mr. Martin, I, I'm a fan of yours. Can you sign my my record of you? And he said, Have you well, have you paid for it? I said, Well, oh no. So I ran, I went in line, I waited in line, and I'm waiting, and they're all yak and I'm waiting, and they're over there, they're not going to be there long. And so I paid for it and I went back to him again. I said, Mr. Martin, here's my receipt for my record, for your record album. It was the one with all the banana uh, animals. Right. Uh, and, and he said, well, I said, well, would you sign it now? And he said, well, well, do you have a Sharpie? And I said, well, no. Uh, I just thought they had, they, they would have them with them to sign because they love. So I ran across the street to a 7-Eleven. <laughs> oh my God. And I waited and there's the same idiot who was waiting in line for, for uh, at the record store was now. Oh, you're kidding. There. A lonely guy just talking to cashiers he didn't know. So finally, I threw a 20 at the guy, and I, I took a bunch of sharpies across the street, and I said, and they were just leaving. I said, Mr. Martin, so I, I've paid for the album. I've got a sharpie. Would you mind signing my album? And he said, well, could you take the cellophane off first? Because <laughs> if you would have signed it on the cellophane. So I took off right. the cellophane. I gave it to him, and then he finally signed it. And it was like, holy crap. And so I had that album. So about 40 years later, on Pink Panther, I wound up being his stunt double. They shot him in France. And there's this one Descender gag that they didn't love. And I was, I was, gonna, I did, I was a stunt double here in Vancouver. And we did the, the Descender gag on The Wire. But turns out the, the director said, you know, it kind of looks like a stunt guy in a wire, just like in France. Do you think you can actually jump? So I actually, stupidly, I jumped off a 12-foot ladder and face-planted onto a carpet and they wound up using that gag in the, in the trailer. But uh, I, Steve Martin, great guy, he'd be playing the banjo every day for the crew. And that on the very last day, I took the old album, I found it from like 75 years ago uh, with, with his signature on it. And uh, I said, Steve, now because we're buddies, Steve, would you mind you know, signing it again? And uh, he said, uh, actually, no, I can't be bothered because you're a moron. But uh, no, he didn't. He signed, <laughs> he, signed it, he signed it again. So I got two Steve Martin signatures on my album of him. And it came full circle. And that was the end. And, and, but Steve Martin was my all-time favorite, favorite guy. Are you a sci-fi fan? I, I, I am. See, I, I grew up. I didn't realize I was a, a, a sci-fi fan. Like when we were doing Stargate, I remember G Money, Michael Greenberg was saying, oh, we're doing sci-fi. He was joking. And I didn't really know like the, the significance of that. But turns out I, because of Star Trek, like I grew up loving. Oh, and I also got the double Leonard Nimoy too on, um, what was that sci-fi show we did in Vancouver? I was doubling John Noble, the older geezer on that show, but I also got to double- Fringe. Fringe, on Fringe, yeah. I was, I was John Noble's stunt double on Fringe. In one episode, Ricky Pierce, who was the, the stunt coordinator brought me out to double Leonard Nimoy. Wow. Well, not just the fan say, Hey, Leonard, Mr. Nimoy, I'm a fan of yours. I was his guy. Like we were in the same room. We had the same wardrobe. 
and he didn't have the Vulcan ears. He, no. Those weren't real. Those were those were fake. <laughs> but I got to hang with him for two days, and I got my picture taken with him, both of us in the same wardrobe. And so, uh, yeah, so, so Star Trek, I just, I mean, I just loved, just just loved this. I didn't, I didn't realize I was a sci-fi fan, because what happened was then the whole sci-fi phenomena you know, and I jokingly, when I'm on stage for all the Stargate convention, I call them Stargate freaks, you know, lovingly. We are a little and, freaky. And my wife always says, you can't call people freaks. That's not very nice. I said, well, no, it's, but it's, it's a term of endearment, like means that they're, they're into it. Like they're like, I, I'm a hockey freak. You know what I mean? So, uh, uh, so I didn't think I was like, I, I certainly wasn't to the extent of, of that, but that didn't exist when I was young, the, the whole, you know, uh, until um, Captain Kirk did the did the bit on SNL, right? Get alive, will you? <laughs> that was that was so funny. But then when, once I started doing the so so anyways to, to to make a long story short, yes, I am because I love uh, Star Trek. But but getting to the conventions, I didn't get it at first. There was one in Vancouver, and GateCon. The but the very first one, I don't even know. It must have been GateCon. Yeah, the first. I think of, so. Yeah, the first of all of them. And, and I, I went out and I wasn't sure what to expect. And I actually had a, they gave me a bodyguard. That, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, like I'm Dan Shea. I'm a stunt guy. What do you talk? Because I, I, I would go with Richard Dean. Sometimes he would go to these things uh, and I, I'd go with him and he would have a bodyguard. Oh, we're leaving now. And, and you know, it, it made sense with him because some idiot may want to attack him or whatever or hug him or whatever. It seemed kind of stupid for me. But uh once we started doing it, you, you got to realize that um, it's the same people. And I got to know them. Like, like there's a dude from uh, Michigan. I call him figure skate dude from Michigan and Michelle, his wife. Uh, I got to know all of them because they were, and they got to know each other, you know? So they at all the different conventions. I remember, I think you were in England too. I remember talking to you over, you, you've been there. Yeah. Not for an, I've been to England, but not for a convention. No, but you, I you I and I talked you. a lot at the gate cons. Was it only in Vancouver? Because I have mm-hmm. a, I thought I had a memory of you being some like, were you in Chicago or somewhere? I have been to Chicago. Have you? Yeah, yeah. that's that's quite possible. Was it? Was it? Yeah, I thought it was creation. That would have been creation. Have, yeah, but yeah. I have a memory of you not just from Vancouver. I have a memory of you being you and I talking somewhere away from home. It had to have been Chicago yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, unless uh, you came down to San Diego Comic Con. No, I, oh, I did do that, but 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 I did that. Um, uh, I wouldn't have seen you there. There was a couple of individual, I guess, quote unquote, fans who brought me down and they had their own table. And I, I, was, I was at a couple of them. What and, an experience that event is. Oh, and somehow I went up on stage. How did I get up on stage? I was up on stage in front of like 800 people in San Diego. So I must have had been there in some official capacity. And I remember the laughter was so big. Not that I'm funny, but there were so many people that there'd, there'd be like a delay of the laughter like oh, <laughs> it's four thousand people in that room yeah so so it was like it felt like uh, louis pk before he fell into disfavor uh, uh <laughs> or, you know uh so so it, it, me doing the conventions is, is and plus i got to bring back the old stand-up thing too absolutely you know, uh, it's back in the stand-up day it, you were always scared crapless being up on stage but for stargate because the, the fans are so nice and you didn't technically have to be funny. There's no real pressure on you being funny. You well, they already it. love you. They've already, they're there because you've won them over already. 
Well, who knows? I'm not sure about that. But in any event, uh, it, it totally relaxed. And I was like, it's a thousand times funnier. Uh, like I was the way I was when we were at the table at lunch, like for 10 years of Stargate and for eight years of MacGyver, we're laughing all the time. But, but when you put a microphone in someone's hand and put them in front of 800 people, even though I did stand up for 10 years, it, it, it changes it. But for, this, for the conventions, I was actually funnier because I was relaxed because I knew they sort of liked you, me and there was no real pressure and the, the, the uh, laughter was just icing on the cake. It's absolutely true. Did I answer your question? You asked me about sci-fi. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Roundabout way of getting to it. You were there from day one of, of SG-1. I didn't know yeah. until like the last time that we talked that you were one of the, the Jaffa guards in the prison marching oh. down on Teal'c before oh, he turns. I was, I, I, yeah, I, but I was, I was the stunt coordinator, and I was Richard Dean Anderson's stunt double from the very beginning. But I remember that scene because, because uh, Brad Kelly, who became like the 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 one Jaffa who worked the most of any Jaffa, because they put the, the heads on them so we could basically use the same guy over and over again. Um, it was his first Naphtalene hit. We we're all lined up, and he said, "What do I do? How will I know? Like, how will I know when to fall over?" And I said. You'll know, and then, like back in the day, in the beginning, we did these little Napoline hits, the uh, Ray special effects. They were nasty because they would just come up and just burn your chins. We had to hit, we had to put all this fire retardant gel on. Later on, we did what was called flash cotton, and they put a hole in your Jaffa suit, put in flash cotton. It, it would be bright, but it wouldn't burn you. Okay. But but I was here, and then Brad Kelly was beside me, and then. Uh, he said, well, how am I going to know? And I said, you know, and boom, he, he, he went, ah, and then down he went, and then boom, down I went. We're both uh, uh, both killing ourselves. But but, but I, when you say it there from the very beginning, we, at the very end of Stargate, they wound up giving us a soft copy book. Uh, uh, the There was a hard copy book of all the people who was there. Was there Celebration the of 10 years. Yeah, and I, I so I got a soft one given to me, and I wound up stealing another one. <laughs> so I remember. I remember. I went to a convention in. Um, oh, oh gosh. Uh, what What was the woman who did the writing? It, it was. It was Thomasina Gibson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and the the convention was at a um, uh, an old town. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, it was in. There was a castle. Yes, we were at this big castle, and I remember I was supposed to work in this. Um, uh, movie in Vancouver, but, but uh, they, they kept pushing it back. Who's the dude from Godfather? Uh, are you, I mean, Marlon Brando? No, the, his son. Uh, Al Pacino? Al Pacino was doing a movie and I was supposed to be on it, but the wasn't kept pushing it back. So I, I, so I said, well, sh I said to the promoter, well, okay, I'm, I'm going. So I got in the plane. I went to, um, uh, uh, God, I wish I could remember the name of the place. It'll come to me. And so I went there and I brought all my stuff from down in the basement, all my Stargate stuff. And I'm th thinking, you know, people may want to uh, buy this stuff. And I like, got all was the, the wrench there? Pardon me? Was the wrench there? No, I didn't have a wrench. No, I didn't. Okay. I couldn't bring it. I couldn't bring, I wasn't going to bring the wrench on the plane. It was more, uh, it, it's actually the book. So this is going to okay. end. Okay. The, the memorabilia. Now I remember I got in the plane and my wife's a flight attendant. I got bumped up the biz, which was great. Then they shut down the plane because one of the toilets weren't working. It looks like I wasn't going to get there. And I phoned, I phoned the coordinator. Can, can I get back in the Al Pacino movie? It looks like I won't be going to England. He said, no, it's too late. So we got to England and oh, no. we took a bus. And 
Well, what what are what are some? What, there's a place that's outside of England where it's close, where they speak a different language, and I almost wound up going there because of the accent. I said, "Take me to such and such," and the place where I was going sounded like Wales. I know. Wales. Yeah. Okay. So the place where I was going was Wells. That's where the convention was in Wells. And I got to England, and I'm all jet lagged, and I'm trying to get on a bus because because the promoters weren't um, they uh, they weren't. Um, I was going on my own dime because it was Richard Dean Anderson and uh, Amanda. And I thought, well, I'm gonna, they didn't have any money for me. So I thought I'm, I'm going to go anyways and I'll just make some dough on my signage. Yeah. And maybe I'll sell some of the stuff. So I got there and, and I remember uh, phoning my wife saying, God, I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a loser. I've flown all the way to England and, and no one's going to like me and no one's going to buy my stuff. I'm such an idiot. What, what, what have I done? So, but so I went to Wells and the, that morning, at 8.30, a half an hour before the convention even started, I very sheepishly started setting my stuff out on the table thinking they might laugh at me. And, uh, you know, because they had real cool stuff. And I'm thinking, is this, this, is, this is legitimate Stargate stuff, but I, I was new at this stuff. So I took out the two books and I sat the two books down. And all of a sudden, whoo, the vendors, like I wasn't, the fans weren't allowed in for another half an hour. All of the vendors came and they said, that's the, that's the such and such book. And I'm, I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's the book they gave me. And they're, they're like, well, what do you want for it? I'm, I'm like, oh, and then I'm thinking, okay, well, so, so I, 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 I sold it to the one guy for such and such. And he, he, he did it so quickly that another guy came for the other one. So I like tripled the price for the other one. He didn't even blink and he took that one. I'm thinking I, I could have charged him 10 times as much. And then yeah. all of my stuff, everything was sold before the doors even opened at nine o'clock. Oh my God, the, <laughs> the vendors the, took the, it all. From the vendors took it all. So all I had left were, were pictures to be signed. But, uh, but now instead of being a loser, I'm like not a loser. I've got, I've got my pocket full of cash and, and now I'm not a loser. So now the doors open, I got a big smile on my face because I'm no longer a loser. And, uh, and, 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 and because it was only Richard and Amanda, I had like eight million people. It was what was that Jim Carrey show where, where he was in a town and they were, they were shooting him on camera. He didn't realize he was on camera. Oh, the Truman the Show. Show. The Truman Show. Yeah, the so I felt like the Truman Show because everywhere <laughs> I went in, in Wells for that weekend, there was like a thousand Stargate fans there, and a very small town. They were everywhere. So I'd walk into Starbucks for a coffee, and there'd be forty Stargate people. Going, hey, Siler. Siler. Then I go into, into a pub for a beer and they'd be, hey, silent. It was like for a weekend, I was I was like Truman. I was like, you know, Jim Carrey, you know, kind of like a like a celebrity, but to, actually total not loser. Now I'm no longer I was a loser. Now I'm not a loser. But but it was like for the whole weekend, it was like uh, it was like being a, like a superstar, it was, you know, and, and then it ended and then, uh, then I was a loser again. No, there there is something. I mean, obviously you were at a convention, but yes. I mean, there is something about Stargate in Europe where, I mean, you tap every third or fourth person, they're going to know exactly what it is and have seen it. Uh, what, what do you think it is that makes this, this franchise so enduring? I know I've asked you the question before, but I'd like to hear it again. I, I don't know if I, I've ever answered it properly. I, I literally have no idea. I mean, yeah. I, I jokingly said that a lot of people in, in England didn't have cable and it was the only show that was on the, on TV. And that's the only reason they watched it. But uh, that I, I hope that's not the reason, even if it was, who cares? But, but, but the show got, but the show got canceled like how many years ago, 15 years ago, and we're still doing this. And, and, and we were supposed to have, and I'm sure you were going to be there last September, 
you were supposed to have another big, I think it was a GateCon. GateCon was going to be full circle 2020. Yeah, yeah. And that would have, and that would have been great. And, and um, of course, it didn't happen because of COVID. So it's still, and, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But so, but if they didn't have the one in September, maybe they'll have one next September. Who knows? But uh, so the, the why of it, I don't know. I, I was watching one the other night. And it's actually a pretty good show. I mean, uh, uh, some sci-fi folks, I remember them think, telling me that some of the science was almost real. Like I know Brad Wright and Glasner, they made sure that the science was fairly accurate. So that helps. Because I think of the movie Martian, uh, uh, written by, um, I worked on Cabin in the Woods. I played Pa Buckner. And Good director- movie. Along with Jodell Furland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the director of that, what the hell was his name? He also wrote, he um, wrote Joss Whedon. Yeah, G- no, no, Josh Whedon was second year director. Oh. Uh, the, it, no, it wasn't, it wasn't him. It was a taller guy. Uh, what was that? That's SG Money. That's Michael Greenberg, I'm going to see. Oh, Greenberg's asking me how Zoom is, so I'll tell him it's still going. Still going. Maybe, maybe he'll come in. Still going. Uh, uh, so anyway, so... Um, Oh, so Martian, the, the science of that slinging around Earth and slinging back was was fairly uh, bang on. So I'm told that the, the science of Stargate is, well, other than it's impossible to go through Stargate and go to the other side of the universe, was was pretty, pretty precise. But um, the actual why, I don't know. For me, I like watching it now because it's, it's nostalgic. And I, I remember what it was like shooting it. Mm. And, and I don't care what was on camera i care about what we were doing behind camera how we were joking and laughing and, mm-hmm. and um how I, I remember the stunt guy randy lee wound up breaking one of um uh, the effects guys one of the uh jaffa uh weapons yeah, the staff back, weapons. In the yeah, staff, back in the beginning there's like two or three functioning staff weapons and they're very fragile and they actually shot but the thing is we were all we were all getting shot carrying them so when we when we died we had to die really lame just set the weapon down <laughs> and that didn't work for the producers so then they wound up making a bunch of rubbers and then, then they just cgi'd the um the 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 shot in so we could you know we could chuck the weaponry but uh, but that's the stuff that i think of when i'm watching a scene you know, there there's a scene you know, that that happened we, we were we were leaving right after to go to vegas for a fight because michael greenberg's brother is ross greenberg and he was president of hbo, HBO. So we, oh my God, I just thought for 20 years, myself and Michael Greenberg and, and Rick, Rick wouldn't go, Richard Dean wouldn't go because he, he said the boxing's fixed. He wouldn't go. Uh, Christopher Judge would. Oh, he, no, Christopher Judge came, came yeah. with us. Yeah, he, he, was, he was with us two or three times. So I remember, oh, uh, one time Christopher Judge had a, a hit on him and, and they, they, they put, did what's actually called A and B smoke. The effects guys put on A and, a and B smoke is what it was called, but, but if you didn't take your, your t-shirt off right afterwards, it would burn you. It was like acidic. Yeah. And I remember it was actually my, my fault as a coordinator, not telling him, make sure he gets that t-shirt off as soon as we're done. Cause, cause, cause we were running off to go to Vegas to go to the fight. <laughs> the and, and, and Chris, Chris judge was myself and Michael Greenberg and Chris judge. And all of a sudden I hear there's something wrong with Chris judge. And I'm, I'm like, what the hell? But he, he had left his t-shirt on and, and the, the a and B smoke had burnt his skin, so now the the um, craft service is putting ice on it, and and we're like, come on, man, we got to get to Vegas. What's wrong? What's wrong with you? And uh, well, I'm, I don't know. I got a. I looked at it, and I he was all had 
bubbles from you know the from the skin being burnt because yeah, of me reacting yeah and uh from then on we didn't use amv smoke but we we got on the plane and we got to vegas and we were ringside and we would get hbo credentials and and we would go we, we we'd be at wolfgang puck for the pre-bash and actual wolfgang was actually there serving us pizza wow all the people from hbo because we used to watch this show called um oz and all the people from Oz were always there. And their Desperate Housewives, was that another one from HBO? Uh, that's, my mom has well, that on oh, no, no, it HBO. It wasn't HBO, but yeah. a couple of the Desperate Housewives stars. Wow. So every, oh, and I remember, um, who's the rapper with 10,000 different names? Uh, he always changed his name every three Not seconds. Not good with hip hop. Yeah, I know, but oh God. So it was the a biggest, lot of people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the biggest hip hop guy of all time. Anyway, so. Uh, he he was there, and he, he he didn't come to the pre uh, uh, pre bash, but I knew where his seat was. So I remember for the preliminaries of the fight, not even looking at the at the fight because I wanted to get his autograph. And sure, sure enough, he he's come. He was walking in, and he was kind of walking in slow motion, just like the guys in Reservoir Dogs. He was walking so cool in the jacket. <laughs> he said, uh, "I said, please, Mister Such and Such, would you mind? How come I can't have his name?" And so he signed it. And then I so I got that for my daughter Joey, the one who's in Egypt. Uh-huh. Um, P Diddy, P Diddy. P. Diddy. I got okay. P. Diddy autograph, but the only guy in the whole play, there's twenty thousand people in there, but but no one could get to him because we're ringside, right? We're right. You had access. They didn't. And, and and plus I had the HBO thing, and plus I was wearing a uh, the year before Evander Holyfield was heavyweight champ, and he was not fighting, but he was standing ringside, and he had this really cool mock turtleneck T-shirt on. Okay. I thought next year I'm going to wear the same mock turtleneck so and look like a Vander Holyfield, <laughs> and it didn't quite hang on me the way it hung on him. But I, but I had, so I had that I had the mock turtle on. I had the HBO credentials. So P Diddy didn't realize that I was just a loser. So he he gave me the uh, the, the the autograph, and uh, the, the rest is history. How did you get Siler? Was Siler written for you in Solitudes, or was it written for a guest? And you're like, you're gonna, I'm going to audition for that, or what, was he for you from the beginning? No, it was not for me from the beginning. It was for anybody who auditioned. And Michael Greenberg got me the audition. So I went upstairs. We're working downstairs on set. And I run up. And there's Brad Wright and Robert Cooper and Martin Wood. And so we all know each other. So I go into the room and I just start joking around like I'm kind of doing now-ish. And they all, I made them all laugh. Like Brad Wright, he's, he, he's for, a, for a funny guy, he's really easy to make laugh. Uh, which is amazing. And he was just laughing his ass off. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, I'm going to get this part because they really like me. But it turns out it wasn't a comedy part. It was like a, a guy who spews out all the techno stuff. And then I spewed out the techno stuff, joking around. And then, and Martin Woods, they're all laughing their asses off. And I think this is great. I'm going to get this recurring role. So I went back downstairs and Greenberg was on set and he got this call and he said, you, you, you asshole, what did you just do? And I said, well, I don't know why. And he said, they you were you you were made a fool of yourself you didn't audition you were just joking around and, and they were embarrassed they were embarrassed for you that's the reason they're laughing because you were it was supposed to be like a serious audition and you pissed it away by being an idiot so he said get back up there now and audition properly so i ran back up and i hit a straight face and i did the the lines and there was no joking around and i left and i'm thinking wow so, so that's how showbiz works and then i got the part so, so, so I, and, and then he wanted me to joke anyways, because whenever I did a, a line, 
I'd get shot in the head or ratcheted or kicked in the face or something. Well, I mean, that's the joke in, in 200, uh, if you could share yes. the line with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, why, does, why does it always happen to me? That's like exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was a gate technician originally. And he yeah. he backtalked General Hammond. He's like, no, sir, it's it's X number of hours. I said X number of hours. This is all I can do. Yes. Oh, in fact, the first couple of episodes, I looked a certain way, like without glasses, and they made my hair look kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And then someone said, well, you look too much like you're Richard Dean's stunt double. You're looking too, <laughs> much, you're looking too much like Rick. Like I didn't Rick. really look like Rick, but I was too much in the ballpark or yeah. something. So they said, we're going to make you look different. So that's when they came out with the glasses. And then they would put this crap in my right. this brill cream in my hair for like ten years. Like no one ever puts product in their hair, so I've been. So that, that's what that, that's how Siler became. Uh, I, I would just wear my own glasses until they got broke, and then they wanted to buy me a new pair. You and, had uh, some of the best lines. I mean, across opposite Jason Shombing is is Robert Rothman in the Crystal Skull episode. What do you think, oh, Siler? I think you're going to get fired. <laughs> it's just fantastic. No, it was that was a lot of fun. See, for me, Stargate was like the best of all because it was it was three things. I was the stunt coordinator. I was Richie Dean Anderson, the star of the show, stunt double, and then I had a recurring role. Like I, I couldn't. Oh, I remember doing a show called Paycheck uh, w- with Ben Affleck. So, yeah, the time travel one. Was it time travel? Mm-hmm. No, ben, uh, no, no, pay, no, Paycheck was no. Well, not so much time travel. Well, maybe. Yeah, he was in the thing, and he and. Um, uh, yeah, he, he came back. Yeah, yeah. So, so, right. so, anyways, so, so we were sh- shooting that at the Vancouver Film Studios, which was across the street from the bridge. So at the bridge was Stargate, and at Vancouver Film Studios across Boundary Road was mm-hmm. uh, Ben Affleck's paycheck. So I got it. Uh, when I accepted a job for both shows on the same day on camera, which has never been done before. So you can, you can be a stunt coordinator let's say I'm on Stargate and maybe I'm supposed to go over to Fringe that night to work. Well, I'm not on camera today as a coordinator. So if I have to leave, someone can cover for me mm-hmm. and then go on camera. No one ever accepts a role on camera on two different shows on the same day. But I, but I told the Stargate people, yeah, yeah, uh, um, I'm available that day, even though I knew I wasn't because I thought if, if, if all of a sudden Siler said he wasn't available, they think I, I thought I was too cool and they stopped writing in the Siler parts for me. So I, I accepted it. So I showed up on the set of paycheck in the morning and they did my hair a certain way. And I remember the girl, my hat had fallen off the day before and they saw my hair. So she just put a ton of product in my hair and combed it so that, so if the hat came off again, my hair would be good. So then I said to the first AD on paycheck, Hey, would you mind if I like, just ran across the street for like a couple of hours? Would that be okay? No, we won't need you for another eight hours. Go. So I ran across the street and I went into the hair and makeup wardrobe. I took off my my uh, jumpsuit from Paycheck and put on my jumpsuit from Stargate. And I went in to get my hair done. And Patrick Hare said, what the hell's happened to your hair? So he took it all out, combed oh, it the no. other way, like Sergeant Filer. Uh-oh. And then I went to set. And I'm crapping my pants because, uh, you know, I'm basically, I'm on set for Stargate on camera. And I, they could call me anytime over there. And I'd be so totally fired. And it, that would be insane. And so usually, sometimes they, 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 they do the coverage of the main actors and just leave the other guys till later in the day and do their coverage later. Yeah. They, they don't care. And sometimes you like that because then you'll get overtime. But this time I wanted to get this thing over with and, and, and get back over there. So I'm crapping my pants. Sure enough, they turned around on me. And then I got a phone call just as we were about the role. And they say, oh, hello, it's Dan. 
And I'm thinking, oh my God, they need me. But it wasn't Dan the AD wanting me for paycheck. It was Dan Rizzuto, the stunt guy, just asking if there was any work. So I hung up, I did my line, and, uh, and then I, they wrapped me and I ran across the street and back to paycheck and I changed my wardrobe back to and, and, and the, the hair woman looked at my hair. <laughs> right. What the hell? She got me into the room and then she was just, again, just digging it in as hard as she could to get the hair back the other way. And then she emptied a whole thing of spray on it so it would never come out again. How do you keep all of that straight? I mean, wearing multiple hats, quite possibly Siler, Richard Dean Anderson's stunt double and stunt, stunt coordinator all in the same day. How do you keep it all straight and that's not, easy, you know, cool. spend 18 hour days on it? It's easy if you're on one set. You're just that's, there. That's I mean, true. You see, but it's when you have to, if you don't tell the Stargate people that you're working across the street on paycheck and you don't tell the paycheck people the feature that you're working across the street on Stargate, that's when it gets tense. If, if, if you're there on Stargate as the coordinator, you've basically already done your work. You've done your budgets. You've hired everybody. And you're there to make safe. So if someone has to fall over, you have to throw a pad down. You know, so if I'm there as Richard Dean's stunt double, I can easily still do my work as a coordinator. They frown upon it and they don't, some companies don't let you do that anymore because I understand from a safety standpoint, it's, it's better for the coordinator just to focus on coordinating. In the old days, we were all greedy. We would be coordinator and we'd also be doubling somebody. So we'd be double contracted and you can do it. But productions tend not to love it anymore. And, and if you were Siler, they, you just go over there and just say your line. And, uh, you know, and I remember too, they, um, they, they, they sometimes would mess with me. I remember one time my phone went off accidentally when it was Rick's uh, uh, close up. And they thought, oh God, who's the guy that's fired? And they couldn't really fire me because I was his buddy. So they, they um, uh, from then on, all of our phones were on vibrate for the next 10 years. But I remember it was my close up about four months later. And usually the principal cast wouldn't even show up for me. They put like an X on the, on the right. thing. The, this X would be such and such, and that X would be so-and-so. But this day, they're all there. Rick's there, Amanda there, Chris Judge is there, Shanks is there. And I go, what the hell? I just got one line. Why are they all there? And so Brad Turner, uh, the director, said, action. And as soon as I was, I was about to do my line, I heard a phone ring. And it was Rick. Rick was purposely off camera making his phone ring every time I had to do my line to get back at me for my phone, my phone going off for his coverage eight months earlier. And so every time I tried to do my line, he would, he would, uh, of course I couldn't flinch because I, you know, and the, the little thing of sweat was coming down here. And, but I, but I, you know, I kept it together because I couldn't fall apart because otherwise, you know, because, because I'm such a jerk being sarcastic to everybody else, making fun of everybody else. I can't suddenly become sensitive and say, you know, sensitive actor guy and say, you could just stop making noise in my eye line, you know? So I had to keep it together and I did my line and we had a laugh and that was the end of that. How, um, how much input would you receive? Would, would you have in terms of, okay, the script says for, for this stunt to be done this way. So Rick walks by, he's, he's enhanced with the, with the atonique armbands. He pushes Siler over the stairs and Siler falls down. How, how often would you be able to say, you know, I have a suggestion. I want to, I think that it would be for this set, for this situation, I think it would be better if it was done this way or this way. Would that, they leave that to you to adjust that accordingly? How would something like that go about? Safety was 100% the coordinator's uh, responsibility. No one ever would ever question it. In terms of the, cre- the creative part, that's the director. I mean, you can give him or her some ideas and they may or may not. Usually they'll listen to you because 
if it's stunt related, then you know what you're talking about and, and it'll be cooler and, and safe. But anything action-wise, safety-wise is 100% the, the coordinator's call. Um, and, and no one will question it. Back in the old days, sometimes directors would be a little, might get a little bit pissy, but not, not anymore. Um, it, it's 100% the stunt coordinator's call. Wow. How did you pull that off? Did you have that particular situation? Did you have pads laying down across those spiral stairs? Oh, the one that you where you pushed me over? Oh, yeah. You pushed I had, you over um, the stairs. That looks so scary because I've been on oh. those stairs. They are steep and they are metal. And even yeah. if you put something down, it's still at a, at a slope. That's going to hurt. Yeah, that was – and I, I remember Martin thinking, like, are you okay to do the flip and land on – I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he did it in two parts. But yeah, I had um, I had a, a couple of guys who played Jafar. It might have been Brad Kelly and, and Sean Stewart down there. They're huge guys. They're like six two and a half, two seventy, uh, and they they were actually holding the pad in place. Oh, okay. Uh, landed on. So, so so they actually uh, they actually kept it level. I didn't even have to go on an angle. Even even trying to go and land on a pad on an angle would be a little bit yeah tiny bit sketchy but actually it was actually quite easy i landed landed flat so you had people there hold, holding it for you yeah they were holding it and they're strong enough ordinarily you wouldn't have people holding pads it'd be too sketchy but uh they're big and also you could spill off the side and fall down the, the side of the steps but they're so strong uh, i totally trusted them and, and it worked the one that blew me away and talking about the last time that we were together with christopher judge and i didn't even realize it was done this way, and I had seen the episode for years, um, was Message in a Bottle, and it was a ratchet pull stunt, yeah. and it was Rick is basically being crucified for all intents and purposes right right here, oh. um, and it's, it's a face transposition, so yeah. you're being pulled back, and his face has been superimposed over yours, and yeah. you're being pulled back against this wall. Tell us about that whole sequence. That was like the worst ratchet I've, I've ever done. We Kirk Bond was the um, the special effects rigger, the stunt rigger, and uh, I actually went back when we were rehearsing. Uh, usually the ratchets are really fast, and you fly back and you slam against the wall and you go down to the ground. And the way they do that is when you're flying through the air, they kind of sh- shut the thing off a little bit before you hit the wall, so you're actually deaccelerating, but the eye, the human eye, can't see that. And then, and you're just sort of dropping. So you don't actually hit square. You're sort of slowing down and dropping and you sort of deflect. And it looks cool, but it doesn't hurt nearly as much. This thing, however, I had to stick to the wall. Yeah, you were being pinned. In the shoulder, and I had to stick. So sticking is no good because you, like all your energy, you go right into the wall. And I remember doing the rehearsal and they did it quite, um, the first couple you always do slower. And they and they wound up doing it, and I hit and boom, and it was like the it was like the hardest hit I've ever actually the second hardest hit, if we can second we'll, yeah if we, if we get a second we can talk about yeah. that but because I because I didn't bounce, you stuck, that hurt. So then they had to um, they had to deaccelerate me because on camera I had to explode backwards with with energy, and then uh, they they had to slow me down, and then stick me to the wall uh but but that was one of the nastier ones it's when you when you stick not good bouncing good sticking not good man and this other time that happened oh, the other one, oh, the other time, for you 
Oh my God, it was, it was, it was like the worst. It was actually worse than this one. I was, I was supposed to be working on Fantastic Four with the Silver Surfer that night in the Cassiar Tunnel. And I was only there on Stargate just for a couple of hours to do, to, to do this little hand pull, standing beside this hospital bed. Well, so we had set up this gag three days earlier and the hospital bed was like 10 feet away from the wall and I had to go back into the wall. And so 10 feet, that means that the angle of the wire is kind of like that. So if, they, if it pulls you back and same thing, they deaccelerate you a couple feet before the wall and you start to deaccelerate, you hit and you bounce off. Well, when we got there on the day, the bed had been moved 10 feet that way. So now instead of being just like a six foot pull on this kind of an angle, if you pull it back further, all of a sudden it becomes this angle. So now it's instead of six feet, it's like 30 feet. Oh my and gosh. An episodic, you don't have time to be changing uh, pick points and stuff. And, but I didn't want to anyway, because even if we did, uh, I would have been late for Fantastic Four. <laughs> so, so, so I had to, I, I'm like, holy crap. And they said, are you ready? So I'm thinking, oh yeah. So I had DQ, Daryl Kwan was a puller. He's a six foot five, 300 pound Asian dude. And he was on a ladder. And uh, I said, you know, I said, uh, DQ, don't be a pussy and give me a good one because I could only do it once. And then I had to get out of there. And it was like the hardest hit I've ever done in my life because I, I went straight back. Instead of going up and, you know, ooh, and then like this, it was like, boom. And I remember my leg kind of twitching when I was on the ground. And like, I'm thinking, holy crap. And, but luckily I could feel my legs. And so then I got up and then I, I wanted to leave. But John Lennick, who was a production manager, said, well, you can't leave because we don't think you're, you're okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in charge of safety. I know when I'm okay. My head's lost. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally not okay. But I had, but I had to get to Fantastic Four. If I, if I wasn't established that night, if I didn't show up, I'd be fired. And, and, right. and Mitch, Mitch would never hire me again. But if I didn't show up for that one night, then I wouldn't have got the five other days that, that was coming. I needed to be established driving this Hummer. And so I said wow. to the production at Target, I said, okay, I'm going to drive home to Kips. My wife will take care of me. And back, back then they had this number that you could call and, and it would, you would know that it was your number or something. It was old fashioned technology. So I remember I drove all the way home and I phoned them. And I said, I'm at home. Here's my wife. She's going to take care of me. And they said, fine. So, I, so then I drove all the way back to the bridge because the, the, the studio for Fantastic Four was right there. I drove to the Cassiar tunnel and I had six ice uh, uh, packs and a, and a big uh, box of, uh, uh, Coke classics to keep myself awake yeah. because the, the night before it was the night, before, oh gosh, so you had rest, had fallen asleep, and yeah. they fired him. So, not only so, I, I got in the Hummer yeah. and I had all the backpacks down my back, and I was drinking Coke classics to stay awake. And then, of course, we all had to go to the bathroom. And I remember everyone running to the bathrooms at the end of the tunnel. And then, then the, the coordinator yelled, get back to your cars. We're about to start driving. And so they all run back. So nobody, nobody was allowed to go to the bathroom for the rest of the night. Oh, so God. We were, all, we were all peeing in the Cassiar tunnel at four in the morning. Like Always eight, like, take a cup. Exactly. We had, we had like 100 stunt guys all going to the bathroom. And, the, and then we were driving our cars through this for, for eight hours. And then the, 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 the next morning... Uh, the Vancouver, the, of course, they wrapped us and we got out of there and, and, the, and all the Vancouver people driving to work. It was a sunny day. Ordinarily, it's kind of rainy. So you got the windshield wipers off on and then you go through the tunnel and you turn the windshield wipers off because you're in the tunnel. Well, this day it was sunny outside and they went into the tunnel and all of a sudden the windshield wipers went on 
Yeah. Oh, and and that was that was because of us. So. Jeez, man, that's just th- your world as has always just been one of amazement to me because y- you never know when that new script is going to come in what's going to be called for. You may be setting someone on fire. You may be doing a two or three story drop. You may be having a ratchet pull, or you may be you know Siler. So, yeah. t- do you find as you um as you get older that you're not as, as nimble as you I used to be. Not, I hope ageism isn't creeping into this interview. No, I'm just curious. Like, like, is it, is it, well, now that you're an old bugger with a cane, how can you still fall over? <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Actually, a lot of them don't want to fall over or hit the ground when they're older. I do. Like I, I kind of like it. Um, uh, so, and I've kept in, in pretty good shape. So it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother me. I, I still like doing ratchets too, actually. Mm. But a lot of them don't. A lot of them just do driving. When they get older, they just like to drive. And uh, so, but I don't. I don't really like. I'd rather run around and fall down than than drive unless it's freezing cold and you want to just just sit in the car all night. But, Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't affect me. I um, nothing has changed. Excuse me, with 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 age yet. You just have to, you know, stay in shape and make sure that you're in, in peak physical condition so yeah. that you when you do get, get that call, you much. can pull it off. You don't get hired as much because if you have a scene of 10 ND people, you can't have 10 geezers and 10 biddies. You know, back in the old days, we'd all, all 10 of us would show up, but 10 of us can't show up anymore because 10 of us are all look like old geezers. So, you, you know, they may only have two geezers in the scene, like me and some other geezer, you know, so it, the, the chances of you getting work lessen somewhat, unless it's driving and then they can't see you. So, uh, so that, that's, that's something that happens with, with age is that you, you don't work as much, not because they hate geezers. It's just, you can't have like, what is this a movie, but an old age home, you can't have 10 old people in the shot. Like what, what, what would the point of that be? Right. No, that makes sense. We have fans who have submitted questions to you from yes, the uh, live audience here. I'd like to uh, 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 invite them, uh, ask them to you now. Uh, Ian wanted to know, um, when there's a stunt that is face planting on a hard surface, concrete or a road on camera from a, from a height, how do you execute that? It seems so simple, but so painful. I had to do that for Scott Nicholson. I call him uh, Tower Jaffa. He was one of the one of the Jaffas on Stargate. I'd like to maybe do my Tower Jaffa thing later, but but in that, I forget the name of the show, but there, there was a prison riot, and I had to come out. Of, this one guy grabbed me and threw me, and had to go over this railing and drop onto some pads. And but the last little bit was hitting the deck, and they they wanted to actually see that. But I was only I was only on my knees, but they but they wanted to see the the head yeah. hit the thing. So usually if they have tons of time, they would have made the surface softer so that you can literally hit. And then they, they play with film speed so they can see your skin kind of going like that. Mm-hmm. But, but this was true hard concrete. So it's like, holy crap. Um, so either you, you use a, like a ton of skill of trying to, trying to make the impact, j- just making the impact an eighth of an inch before you hit it and then hit it. Or you, sometimes you can, use, you can cheat and land and use your arm or something. That's what a lot of us do is we'll, instead of your, your face actually planting, it looks like your face planting, but you're cheating using your arm to do it. That's, that's how a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll cheat that unless we can have a cheated surface that's made of high dense, which looks like concrete, but isn't. And then you literally, you can literally slam your, 
your your face against it. What's the? Well, oh, sorry. One other way is a John. Yeah. Um, well, what's this? John Badham is a director, uh, and his thing was, if if you had a car driving in another car and you went right into the right into the um, license plate, you couldn't do that because it was too dangerous. You'd actually slam into it. So what he would do, he would start on the license plate and then back up, and then reverse the film. So that's another thing that we do. You can be here like this and and, and pretend do a little bounce thing and then go like that. And then they'll reverse the film and then then have then it looks like you're, you're actually slammed onto it that's another way that, that they can do it that makes sense yeah. have you uh what's the most serious i, I haven't imagined you've been on a set during a, de- a, a death uh, what's the most serious accident well, that you've witnessed well actually there was on deadpool but anyway let's, let's not talk about that but but uh, okay um yeah that uh yeah that's the thing stunts can go wrong you can do 100 or 200 or a thousand of them and, and People get all relaxed, thinking, you know. In fact, they sometimes think, "That guy, you get money, you know, for that." It seems so easy, but if something goes wrong, it's it's not so it's not so easy. So, because um, I remember the first time I was Rick's stunt double after MacGyver, it was an MOW movie of the week in Toronto, mm-hmm. and the gag was he had grabbed this um, thing of cash and something wraps around his ankles and pulls him into this um, these rollers in a factory. And uh, mm. they had a release on me earlier in the wide shot and they would be pulling me towards the thing. And if I wanted to get away from the rollers, I could pull my leg out at any time. But th- for the close-up, they were seeing the wire. So they just said, can you just sort of come and put your foot to the rollers and, and we'll stop it. And, and, and uh, that was my first stunt action. Uh, and I stupidly said, oh yeah, okay, sure. And what happened was they pulled me to the rollers and I said, my foot got caught in the rollers. And instead of stopping the, the 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 button guy freaked out so either he either he he, he didn't press stop he, he didn't press stop fast enough or he pressed something else and it, it sucked me into it just a little bit so my foot actually got pulled into these rollers for like uh uh like maybe two or three or four inches and I'm, I'm, i was just screaming and it was like it was awful then it spit me out and they took me to the hospital and then i remember uh, the director was really upset that i had gotten hurt and uh, Michael Uno was the director's name. And then they were doing a thing for Ricky Schroeder, Klondike. What's that Klondike thing that's been repeated a bunch of times? What would you do for and, a Klondike uh, bar? Huh? What would you do for a Klondike bar? No, no, no. It was a movie about the Klondike. Oh, oh about, okay. About the Klondike. Okay. Yeah. And Ricky Schroeder was the star of this particular one. So I remember my foot had totally healed. That was like eight months earlier. Okay. But Michael Uno, the same director, was, was directing this Klondike, something about the Klondike, Gold Rush, I think it's called. Okay. It's the same book, and they've done a million movies about it, and different actors have, have starred in it. But I remember walking into the audition, and I brought my little crutches, and I was hobbling on my foot, pretending like my foot was still mangled from eight months ago. And he said, he said but he knew it was a joke. He said, get out of here, asshole. You got the part. <laughs> this so last one the- here, that was for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, jeez! And you were talking. You you mentioned about a Tower Jaffa. Mm. Was there a story okay. there? Yeah, so it's like a high fall. Well, no, there was a tower, and I remember Jonathan Glasser coming into the in the stunt office and saying, "We hit this guy up in the tower. Should he be a stunt guy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Right away, I said, "Yeah." I wasn't really sure what it was, but yeah, well, make him a stunt guy. Is that the weapons? The weapons turrets? The the, the guy? Yeah, that's... it was high up in our. And, and you, you may remember this if I, as I start rambling on about it. So we 
we got there and Tower Draft had put on all the stuff. Scott Nichols, a handsome guy, but it was freezing rain. He didn't want to go outside. So he said, you know, can, would you mind, um, you know, me just leaving some of the stuff off until they need me and then I'll come out. And they said, okay, fine. Well, it turns, it turns out, unfortunately, it was a, like about a 20 minute drive to set. And so we're using Jason Calder, who was Michael Shanks' stunt double. Okay. Wound up putting on all the Jaffa stuff. He was standing in. He put the stuff in. A couple of shots, he just went up up the tower. And he just stood there just in the background because it was, it was pounding rain. And they wanted, and were losing the light. And they wanted to get the shot right away. And they didn't have time to bring in the, the real, the real uh, uh, guy. And he was a stunt actor. He was a contract and a half, four days. He sat in his room for four days. And tr Jason Twitchy Calder, who was a stand-in, was standing in for him in the background, freezing his ass off, wearing his Jaffa suit for four days straight, making peanuts. And so finally it came time for his big moment to get shot at because there's supposed to be a bunch of squibs and he's shooting his gun and squibs are going off. And so, so that was the reason it was a stunt. But turns out they changed it from squibs to depth core. Like it wasn't actually a squib. They were going to just blow it up. Like just just destroy it. So we couldn't even have any humans up there at all. They they put a dummy up there, and we all pulled the cameras back and we just we just blew the hell out of this thing. So 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 Tower Jaffa, he he showed up on the first day for the blocking, looking great in his chainmail, and he held up the gun and he looked great. And someone from the sci-fi I forget which sci-fi magazine had taken a picture of him. And he never actually showed up on camera on set. He got paid for four days work, <coughs> excuse me, as a stunt actor. And then he wound up being like the, the centerfold of season like two or whatever of this. Sounds like season three. Uh, it sounds like Into the Fire. I, I, was that was with the that turrets one? at the beginning? The turrets they come out of the ground and they were shooting at people. That's at least what it sounded like. Well, this this particular one was just one tower out in a gravel field shooting. Yeah, yeah, and they were running from it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think it was season one. But anyways, okay. the, the point is, he got this incredibly handsome shot of him in the sci-fi magazine. <laughs> and it was never and used. It, and he was never, ever used. So, so I, called, <laughs> I, called him, I called him Power Jaffa ever since as a joke. I wonder if fandom can find it for us. I'll sick them yeah, on yeah, it. Cause, cause it, was a, it, wasn't, it might not have actually been a cinephile, but it was a big, nice color picture okay. of him holding on to this, this weapon. Oh, my God. Jeez, man. The uh, wrench prop, it disappeared after a while. It wasn't used through uh, the end of SG-1. You and, and Martin Wood, um, did someone confiscate it? Did it disappear? <coughs> did you grab it, Dan? I mean, what, what was the story of the wrench? It's, it's down in my basement. I can probably run down. I don't know if I could find it quick enough to bring it back up. <coughs> but I have it in my basement. And uh, But the, the, the reason why we weren't, weren't allowed to use it as much is because I was upstage in the actors. Like Martin kept me having this, this stupid wrench in all the backgrounds of the shots. And there was one sequence where we were in the, um, uh, I, I was in the in the bed from being injured. And Terrell Rothery, old yes. Bob Fraser, she had to, she was coming in to check me. Yeah. And someone said for a joke, why don't you have the wrench under the covers? <laughs> and uh, you know, and so you know, ha ha. Probably heroes <laughs> after you got your hit. Was it, was it, whatever it was. And, and you're so, shirtless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But under the, under the covers was this hard steel and tarot kind of touched it. <gasps> like this, what, what the hell is that? And so big boy Richard Dean got pissed off because we, because I, I don't think Terrell thought it was, was funny, but, but he didn't 
think that that was, we couldn't do it now. Now it's totally, I mean, it was totally inappropriate, but 20 years ago, it was, it was right, less. Exactly. I would love to see it. I can do a promo if you run and uh, grab it. Like now you mean? Is that okay? Well, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, you may, I mean, you may not find it. I understand. Yeah, yeah. So, but you, you can literally give me two minutes to run. I'll give you two minutes. Yeah. I was going to do a promo anyway. And for the zoom, aren't the people also on zoom? Are we not going to see them and talk to them? No, they're watching on YouTube live. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'm going to run down. So I'm just going to go ahead and do a promo. See if I can find the rope. Yeah. Take your time. Cause I want to see the wrench. (laughs) All right. One of these communication stones is a screen used prop and one is a screen accurate replica. So for the month of January, Dial the Gate is giving away the replica. The replica is on the right, by the way. To enter to win, you need to use a desktop or laptop computer and visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to submit trivia questions. Your trivia may be used in a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or for a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. There are three slots for trivia, one easy, one medium, and one hard. Only one needs to be filled in, but you're more than welcome to submit up to three. Please note the submission form does not currently work on mobile devices your trivia must be received before february the 1st 2021 if you're the lucky winner i will be notifying you via your email right after the start of the new year to get your address to mail you the prop and congratulations to batmall for winning the 3d printed stargate and ancient keychain giveaway from the january contest on 3dtech.pro and dan is still missing so i am going to uh ask that if you are a star, well, obviously you're here, you're a Stargate fan, but if you know someone else uh, who likes Stargate as well, I would appreciate it uh, if you invite them to watch our show, Dial the Gate, by clicking the share button. Uh, please consider sharing this with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. And if you enjoy the content that we're bringing you today, please uh, consider giving us a like as well. It really means a great deal. I like Dan's kitchen. (laughs) Uh, Apologies earlier about uh, Corin Nemec. We're going to be rescheduling him for uh, hopefully next week, but I'm uh, just going to, uh, I'm still waiting on communication from him. So do we manage to find it? No, sorry. No, it's okay. Too much crap down there. No, it was worth it. It was it was still worth it. So, um, uh, let's see here. C Peltier, two thousand ten. What was it? What is it like for you to know that your work is appreciated? He says he knows that stunt coordinators don't get enough publicity and often not enough um, credit. Well, I have no idea what that feels like because no one ever has appreciated anything I've ever done. <laughs> I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask. You are appreciated, Dan. Oh, thank you. Well, that's the first time. So so it feels good. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. It's a warm feeling. Yeah, thank you for the warmth. Loved it. Uh, you know, Kyle, we, yeah. You know, we, we know, um, you know, we know our worth. I mean, people, like actors, um, that the, the one group of humans that actors actually like are stunt folks. Um, sometimes they can be not as nice to other folks, or not always, but sometimes, but they always seem to like stunt folks. So... And production likes, well, they don't like paying stunt folks so much, but they like uh, the fact that when, when we do the stunts and do it safely and no one gets hurt, no one gets sued, they, they like that. So 
and generally speaking, people like stunts. So I, we actually are sort of appreciated. Like you're not the star of the show, but I, I, I don't totally agree with your premise. I, I, I think um, I, I, we, we feel like we're appreciated anyways. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Kyle Gubert, uh, what was the time you thought a stunt was going to go pear-shaped, but actually worked out just fine? Pear-shaped is, is uh, English speech for wrong. Uh, pretty much every, every episode. <laughs> uh, when, when I thought it was going to go wrong, but it didn't, uh, something I was really concerned you, you were, about. Yeah, you were concerned about it, and then it was like, you know what, we pulled that off. Oh, yeah, that was pretty much every time. Because uh, there's always a chance that something can go wrong. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I just had a flashback to Bates Motel when something did go wrong. But, uh-huh. but, um, uh, see, yeah. Um, actually you feel that all the time. Like you, you build up to it and you got to be calm on the outside because you can't have the coordinator going, <laughs> like it doesn't, right. it doesn't look good. No. But sometimes you're sort of, you're feeling that a little bit on the inside, uh, like fire stuff. You sort of feel that you don't really love fire stuff so much. Uh, but, but um, not, not a specific one. It's sort of a kind of a thing that sort of kind of almost happens ish. Do you have a favorite, uh, Jim Kite, do you have a favorite one-liner from Siler? Oh, I think the one we did, why does this, this always happen? Right, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, my favorite line from all of Stargate is, uh, our scopes have spotted ghouled warships dropping in from hyperspace. They will be attacking through the gate and through the air within the hour. Gar Shah has ordered that we destroy the rest of the tunnels and transport the rest of the Tok'ra through the Shapai. <laughs> <laughs> That so, was a line. I, I've done that at, at the conventions a lot of times, but that was a line that one of the standing guys got as an upgrade. And yes. he, had, he had the hardest time spitting that line out. It was, uh, it, it, it was, he, he never quite got it. I remember uh, he was reading it and he didn't know how to pronounce, uh, you know, uh, Shapai and, and he, the sweat was pouring off him. Ah. They, they were doing all the principal cast first and he was, he was just white knuckling his sides the yeah. side of the script that you're reading our scopes of spotted ghoul worship and then we kind of thought this is kind of funny we're not peculiar and so now the camera's turned around on him so he he's already had like um 10 or 20 takes to do it off camera and he's still reading it so we're thinking this doesn't look good so he had, they had to kind of try the sides out of his hand so now it's his coverage so he came around the corner and it was our, our scopes have. Oh, sorry. Let me go again. He came around. Kim, our, our scopes have spotted ghoul. Goa, goa. Let me go again. So twenty takes later, he still didn't have it. And on the like the twenty fifth take, he comes around the corner and he hits his staff weapon and on the roof and hits himself in the head and he falls over. And then we said cut. And that was the end of it. And so he never did get the line. So they wound up looping him and cutting around him. So we never even uh, no one ever knew he existed. But we wound up getting t-shirts made. Uh, t-shirts were uh, a, a crew gift for him it was our scopes have spotted ghouled warships dropping in from hyperspace dot 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 shapai and then we had two little uh, tombstones at the bottom saying uh, uh, rest in peace your acting career oh, um, no. so for the rest of stargate whenever whenever any uh, actor started to go off on their lines one of the ad's would go on the radio and go scopes and everybody would rush in because that was his line of scopes of spotted ghoul worships because they wanted to see this actor guy like get destroyed in front of everybody. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the kind of fun people we were on Stargate. Oh, gosh. 
I Christopher said, you know, if you didn't have a thick skin, you wouldn't last long on that show. You know? Judge? Yeah. You know, every everyone had to be willing to have a good time because it's long days, man. And some of those some of those lines sucked. So that that one's from Tokra part two. That's just like, man, you, know, you gotta do what you can with what you got. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Lee, rather than a question, I want to say thank you for all your effort through the years. I hope you are staying safe and healthy. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Back at you. Kronos uh, Chiron asked and answered about uh, uh, how uh, he got the part of Siler. Hyper Skyper. Would you consider your SG-1 position as stunt coordinator, stunt double, and Siler as a trifecta of disaster? It's like... I don't. I, I wouldn't consider that, but a lot of other people would. I mean, it's like, yeah, he, he's continually getting, continually getting beat up for sure. But yeah, he's, I don't. I guess I don't really understand the nature of the question. Uh, Kevin Leach, uh, the most dangerous stunt that you had that you actually regretted later on. It's like you know what I sh- probably should have dialed this down or had this done a different way. Well, you know what? It's the smaller ones that get you. I remember Carl really Weathers, Carl Weathers on Street Justice. He said, you know, uh, he almost broke his ankle uh, jumping off an apple box, you know, and he did all the Rocky movies and uh, never got hurt. So it's always the, um, the, 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 the weird little nothing ones where you, where you can get hurt. But the big ones, you're totally focused and uh, well, I mean, you're focused on everyone, but it's the, it's the little ones that can get you. Uh, and I'm just trying to think of, I mean, even that thing where I got my foot caught in the... Um, rollers that was so stupid mm. you know there was a to to have taken away the safety taken out the safety strap was was idiotic so um it's, it's the little ones that can that can get you honesty pays dividends do you ever still hang out with rick well i don't not physically but we're on this uh texting um thing there uh, uh texting thread mostly for hockey there's rick and there's michael greenberg g money and his brother Ross Greenberg. So we're always now. Now Michael is is in Toronto now. He's actually um, he used to be the executive producer of Stargate, uh-huh. and he's work, working now for the NHL, uh, doing remotes of of the hockey players. Like he's working for the uh, shooting the Toronto Maple Leafs. He, he's in he's in quarantine right now in Toronto for for another week. And, and um, so what we do is we will text back and forth. You generally about sports stuff and, and particularly about hockey stuff. But there was one night, it was actually the playoffs last year, St. Louis were, were playing. And I, I sent a text to them. I said, you know, like, don't, don't tell me the score of the game because I'm watching Rachel. And uh, of course, Rachel is one name for Rachel Maddow. We, we've given her one name status. And, and then Rick texted back saying, well, yeah, I'm watching Rachel too. And then Greenberg, both Greenbergs texted back and said, yeah, like we're all all four of us who are hockey freaks, we're watching Rachel Maddow instead of watching the hockey game, and and, and uh, every single one of us. And we had PVR'd in fact. I said I PVR'd the game. I didn't because I'm so non-technical. I have no idea how to PVR a game. But I didn't. They all said they PVR'd it, so I kind of went along. Yeah, I PVR'd it too, but I I had no idea how to do that. But all all of us were uh, watching uh, Rachel Maddow doing a rant on somebody because she's, she's so great. And so, so basically now with Rick and I, it's basically texting either about hockey or Rachel Maddow. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Dr. Essex, how does the Vancouver area with Bunsen, Sazmat, and other lakes uh, benefit uh, aquatic stunts? Uh, 
Well, they're freezing cold. So, so that's <laughs> well, I, I remember, oh gosh, having the, I've done a lot of dead bodies uh, in freezing cold water gags. Oh my God, they're just awful. Um, uh, even you can, you can wear a wetsuit, but you got to put your face in the water and be still. So jumping off a cliff into the water is bad enough, but at least when you hit and it, 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 it just hits you and, but you can flail around and get out of there. It's the dead body ones that are, oh, they're, they're just, they're just the worst. But, uh, but I, I've been in, I've been in those lakes and I remember I was supposed to be on, there was another sci-fi show about witches. It was three witches, three young, three girls who were witches. And I, I had to be, I was a stunt double at the end of a pier and the witch, they were walking down the pier and had to look in the water at the, at the dead body. So mm -hmm. I was a dead, I was a dead body. So I remember I could keep my head up watching them walking down the pier. But as soon as they got close, the camera was going to switch over to me. Then I had to put my head down. And I remember they kept screwing up their lines over and over again. I had to stay longer and longer and longer in the water. And then, and then I actually had to go under the water and I had, they had killed the guy. So I had these big ropes I had a rope around my, both my wrists and ropes around both my ankles that were hanging down in the water. And so when the witches did something, the water got all stirred up and it got stirred up by the effects guy having stuff under the water to churn it up. But I was, I was afraid that one of my ropes were going to get caught in one of these things and I was going to get trapped under the water. And so, so not only was I freezing, but I had to I had to peek to make sure they were coming then at a queue. Then I had to go underwater and, and, and then float up and then had my hands so they could see the ropes that, that that's how the guy had gotten killed. And then I remember what I did that for like six hours straight. And over lunch, over lunch, I just, I didn't eat. I just went to a hot shower. I just sat in the shower and then it came time for the actor's coverage. All he had to do, they gave him a huge wetsuit. He was so bulky. He could barely, barely, he was like a cork. He could barely get under the surface of the water. And he, he put his face in and he went, oh, I can't do it. So then I had to go back in again. Oh, God. And they, they, they used the actor's legs to block his face from the pier looking down. Yeah. And I was back in there for another, another five hours. So that was, that was one of those lakes. It was, uh, it was just uh, one of my worst memories of all time. Hope you got overtime for that. Well, I got pre pretty good dough. Uh, I remember the coordinator, um, uh, 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 Rupp, uh, 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 Mr. Rupp, uh, Jacob Rupp, he wound up giving me a lot of money. I, I didn't think he would he would care or or know or or, or you know give a crap. But he he gave me uh, that was like the most dough I think I've ever got. Um, yeah, and uh, but producers don't realize cold water. I remember on the show called Psych, mm. we had to have a girl, a redheaded girl, doing a similar gag about going down into the water and floating up. And so the, the producer didn't want to pay stunt pay for that gag. And I couldn't get a stunt person to do it. So well, I got my younger daughter, Joey, who's actually in Cairo, Egypt right now. She was a really, both my daughters were lifeguards, really good swimmers. So she did, she did the gag and, and uh, she had to go down like 10 feet because the DP had lit the water so bright that we could see her when she was only five feet under. So she had to go down like 10 feet. They, the the, the uh, diver was pulling her down and she was freezing cold. Then they had to let her up. And then James Roday and Dulé Hill, I don't know, they, they were the two actors. I'm not sure if you know Dulé Hill from West Wing and James Roday from Psych. He's now on A Million Little Things. Okay. They, they, they would stand there and see her come up. And they thought I was such a bully, such a sadistic father 
to have put my own daughter in the in this freezing cold water, but I, I couldn't tell them that the producer was too cheap to pay her. To pay <laughs> so I got and my she could do it. it. Well, she did it for extra work. It, it was yeah. like the it was like the 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 worst gag you would like. It was one of the worst things I did for stunt pay and the most stunt pay I've ever got. And I got my own daughter to do it for peanuts because the producer wouldn't, uh, or, or I didn't have the balls to say to the producer, hey, we're going to do this either way, you know, screw you. Right. So my own daughter did it. But I, but I gave her a bunch of stunt days on psych. Easy, easy ones. To, ah, okay, there you go. The great and mellow. Got, and and they, they both got residual checks from psych just before <laughs> Christmas. So, so <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and from Stargate. Uh, from like 10, 15 years ago. So wow. The gift that out. keeps on giving. Yes, exactly. The Great Mellow. I've got two questions left. The The Great Mellow. How many times uh, did uh, the scene with Teal getting his face slammed on the door in window of opportunity, how many times did that have to be shot? And how did you pull that off so that Chris just wouldn't absolutely get clocked? Well, we, we, use, camera real. we use camera angles. If, if it's the same thing I remember. So the camera would be here. Chris's face is here. And then the door would would not actually as long as a fist or a door or whatever breaks the plane of the camera then you don't know the depth like he he could still be that far away from the from the door and okay. not actually be hit and then what he does is he snaps it with his head he does a head it snap. looks like he actually gets clocked yeah well, well i can't i i hope not because that would be that would have been dumb of me to let our, our lead actors actually get hit and hit in the face yeah. i I, I'm, I can't specifically, I'm, I'm trying to think of that one, but, I, but it, it would have been a door coming in front, coming between the camera and his face. Well, yeah, right into his face. Yeah. Every time the, the time loop resets. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had, we've had things where we have hit people, but it's all uh, high dense foamy. Got so it. then you can, you can't actually hit them. So I don't, I don't have a memory of making a foam door to actually hit him. But, but if we had, if we had to actually see the impact, that's what we would have done. Oh, understood. I don't have a memory of that. I think we just used camera angles to okay. sell it. And finally, Raj Luthra, when uh, the when the fourth Stargate series hopefully hopefully gets greenlit, if they ask you to return, will you? Yeah, of course. Why not? Absolutely. I'd love to do it. I mean, uh, I did the first one. Then Bam Bam, he's directing now. He did the next. He is. Two. Yeah, he was uh, the fight coordinator. Oh, was he stunt coordinator as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fight he, coordinator he, on SG One for the last couple of years. Yes, but he he became the stunt coordinator for sure for Atlantis, and uh, I'm pretty sure he he hung around for Universe too. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. terrific, Dan. This has been such a pleasure. Yeah, for me also. I appreciate it. I don't know if uh, your daughter's still on. How would we, how would we know? Oh, would I be? can probably check. Oh. And she's... nope, she's gone. I'll have to WhatsApp and see what happens. (laughs) But my friend, this has been such a treat. Uh, You have always been uh, one of my favorites to talk to, and you've always been so engaging and and terrific with the fans and responsive to them online on social media as well. And, you know, it's just the same thing to Corin like last week. The exact same words. Really? Yeah, the exact same words. So I want new words. I want the, I want. My own specific nice words. I didn't talk to Corin. I'm kidding. (laughs) I kid because I love, you know that. And we do appreciate you. Uh, You know, I... I seriously doubt that the that the the Stargate saga is over. You know, once we we get out of these um, couple three years of weirdness, you know, I think you know, or sooner, you know, we may be in uh, full production again. I I really have high hopes. 
So that Brad's yeah, so going to make it happen. Needs to get back. Absolutely. It needs well, to continue. This show is evergreen and it needs, it needs more adventures. Exactly. And I hope to see you at the, the next convention. If they do another one, I'm sure they will. Absolutely. It's just a matter of time. My friend, thank you so much. And you. Uh, you take care of yourself. Okay. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks see you later. so much, Dan. Thanks for the fans too. Thanks guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dan Shea, everyone. Stunt coordinator for Stargate SG-1 and Sergeant Siler. Uh, so I've already shared information with you about uh, the Communication Stone giveaway, and that's going on now through the month of January, as well as um, uh, the call to action. So please uh, like, share, and subscribe if you're enjoying the program. Next week at 11 a.m. Pacific time on the 17th, next Sunday, the 17th of January, Gary Jones will uh, be interviewing more Stargate fans. Two hours later at 1 p.m. Pacific time on January the 17th, Stargate Trivia Round 3. And we're doing it a little bit differently this time, and fan involvement will be uh, the case. So if you show up for that, you are definitely going to be able to participate. And then at 3 p.m. Uh, on the 17th, the uh, we're going to start uh, quarterly Stargate news updates. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with uh, with uh, Brad's uh, SG4. Um, no, no breaking news per se, but we want to bring everyone up to speed on what is known. I also want to talk about merchandise with Blu-rays and the move to Netflix and everything that's going on there because there have been some some interesting ripples. Netflix has labeled SG1 as TVMA, and that has got to be fixed. So I appreciate everyone for tuning in. I do have one more thing. I have fan art. I almost forgot. And that's the wrong one. Here's the right one. This is... I just called SG-1 Thank You by Joanna Johen, Sly Siler, and Walter Davis Harriman. Uh, bonus Stargate SG-1 Chiblis. I guess that's the Chibis. Chibis? That's the design of these characters. It's uh, created for someone by the name of Mary Sapp. So... I love this art. So cool. The, uh, you can just tell the Gary Jones one is yeah, that's clearly Gary and the silo one silo one is pretty good too. So Joanna, Joe, Joe Joanna, Jonin. That's it. And if you have any original artwork of your own that you'd like to submit or, uh, uh, images of something Stargate that you've created, please feel free to email me to dialthegateshow at gmail.com and we'll get them on the air as well. That's all I have for you this week. I appreciate you tuning in and we're going to see you next to Sunday for three more episodes of Dial the Gate. We'll be scheduling Corin as soon, uh, rescheduling him as soon as I can. Uh, once I connect with him and we get those announcements in, I will be posting that information on the YouTube channel as well and the, uh, the social media channels as well. So I appreciate your patience. My name is David Reed. You've been watching Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. 
Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>